gone, but that was interesting. It was good. So, <clears throat> I feel like a guest speaker after being gone two weeks, which is very uncharacteristic of us. So good to see everybody. Um, perhaps you might recall from the last message on Proverbs 26. We'll be going on Proverbs 27 today, but Proverbs 26 and what that cost of that doggy in the window. We consider the need to be aware of... Uh, the dogs and evil workers mentioned in Philippians chapter 3. The cost of that doggy in the window is spiritual <laughs> bankruptcy. And we consider a second dog in the window, namely broken fellowship with the Lord and broken fellowship with other believers. As we looked at Proverbs twenty six eleven, like a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. <clears throat> and lastly, we considered the immeasurably deep truth found in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, which is the, the remedy for that doggy in the window. Um, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And as God says in Philippians chapter three, and placing no, no confidence whatsoever in the flesh. So today we'll turn to Proverbs 27, as I mentioned, with a <clears throat> focus on verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We'll <clears throat> open in prayer. Thank you, Father, for truth, for light, for hope, for your, for your Son coming into this world to be a Redeemer, a Savior, a Shepherd, we thank you for that promise and help us during the Christmas season to, to always go back to that promise, to make that central in our lives and <clears throat> share it with others by word, thought, action, prayer. I pray for that. And as we spend some time considering the body of Christ, the family of God, and how we should sh rub shoulders and sharpen one another, just guide us in our thought processes and in truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the most recent chapter of Jerry's ongoing adventures in the world of mechanical problem solving involves the overhead entrance door at, at, at a local car wash. I've been to car washes many times without any issues about getting the overhead garage door open. So, until about a week ago. Upon arrival at the car wash, I hop out, walk up to the overhead door, and lift it as I've done many, many, many times before. The door, door does not budge. I look around to see if anybody's watching. Nobody saw that. Okay, I'll try it again. My fingers hurt. The door didn't budge. <clears throat> um, nobody's watching. I get a brilliant idea. Try the other door next to it in the other part of the car wash. That should work. And guess what? It didn't budge either. Engaging my less than adequate mechanical ability, I notice that with both doors, one side is a little bit higher than the other. So if I balance that out, get it square in the track and the door's not binding, it should lift smoothly, right? Go over to one side, push down, nothing happened, go to the other side, lift up, 
nothing happened, still nobody's watching. This is, I can still keep going. Try the other door, same thing. Nothing happens. Hmm. Ah, at this point, my mechanical aptitude is feeling a little endangered. Usually I can change the light bulb. Usually I can open the door, usually, not always. Are you familiar with Don, Don Quixote? Kind of know that story? Yeah. The foolish main character in a novel who sets out to conquer the world and does things like charge a windmill with a spear. Out of touch with reality, he decides to become a person who will stand in defense of the hopeless and slay the wicked. He was idealistic. He was determined. He perceived the windmills as giants with these big, long arms. At this moment, sitting in front of the overhead garage door, I feel a little bit like Don Quixote. Wicked door. Not going to defeat me. Even as people started... Even if people did start to watch, I was becoming obsessed with getting that door open. You kind of know, you've been there somewhere in your life, right? This little trivial thing, I'm going to get this. Um, even if it meant charging the door with Don Quixote's spear. Being observant, I'm starting to think maybe NASA needs a, a, a new engineer when I solve this problem. I'm being observant. I see what the problem is. The door is Doors are frozen to the ground because it was warm yesterday, it was cold overnight, all kinds of ice along there. So I'm going to solve the problem by walking along and kind of kicking the bottom of the frame, loosen up the ice. Good news is I didn't break my foot. Bad news is door didn't budge. Doing my best version of Don Quixote, I was not going to be defeated by that wicked door. I repeated all the previously tried strategies at least once more, and minutes later, on the verge of defeat, looking at that wicked door, I'm scanning the area for the possibility of finding a spear to conduct a head-on attack in that door. A direct frontal attack seems like the best option, and I'm thinking this might do it. <laughs> you know, get that door! Uh -huh. Direct frontal attack. As I'm scanning that area, I look at a point about five feet above the, above the ground. Some of you know what's coming. And I see a green button that says, open. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wonder if Don Quixote would have been proud of me as I pushed that button and the door opened without any effort on my part. Um, I was never so proud to wash our car. <laughs> it felt so good. I got in. Um, now, problems aren't over, though. There's this bottle. You know, these things have to, somehow you have to turn it so the pump will work. I can't get this one. Wicked bottle. Anybody has any, can help me later? <laughs> can't get it open. Margaret, you open, you're able to open up that, that jar the other time, counting on you. <laughs> um, we'll come back to the... Well, I think I've told the story before, but... <clears throat> 
when Greater Homes purchased this one home that I was going to work at, you know, they spent $100,000 remodeling the place. The administrator asked me to put, do one thing, just one thing, put on a corner guard. Theoretically, they should be straight, shouldn't they? Yeah, we, won't, we won't go there. That corner guard is still there. <laughs> Thankfully, it's an out of the way place. Um, so no, you can't. <laughs> no, there's too many stories. <laughs> okay, today, as I said, we'll focus on Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, <clears throat> so one person sharpens another. But first, as we typically do, we'll kind of skim through the rest of the verses in the chapter, looking for nuggets of spiritual truth that we need to hear again and again and again. As we skim through the chapter, we'll be skipping a few selected verses that will tie in later to um, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. <clears throat> First one, do not boast about tomorrow if you do not know what a day may bring. The last few verses of chapter 27 talk about planning and being organized. So we're to plan for the future, but we're not to boast about it. We're not to make, be arrogant about it, have our plans that exclude the Lord, as we talked about last time, being wise in our own eyes. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. That's, we're not, we're not to do that. We're to include the Lord in all those thoughts and plans. Verses three and four, a stone is heavy, the sand is weighty, but the provocation of a fool is heavier than both of them. Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? We get so used to sin that we become numb to it. We can lack sensitivity to it. It's just an everyday thing. It becomes routine, it becomes mundane to stand back and Identify it for what it is, is important. So just for a few seconds, think of some synonyms for the word wicked as you look at verses three and four. What are some synonyms for the word wicked? A wise prayer is a prayer for being sensitive to, our, to the sin in our life. Because unless we're sensitive to that sin, we will keep returning to that spiritual vomit that we are prone to, that habitual sin. Maybe we'll be sensitive to sin. Notice in verse 3, the provocation of a fool is heavier than anything else that the writer could think of to express it with. So it's very heavy, obviously. And notice in verse 4, the intensity. Wrath is fierce. Anger is a flood. These are bad, but even worse is the deadly toxin of relentless and unquenchable jealousy. Pray that the Lord reveals the, the sins in our life, in my life. To be sensitive to that. Verses seven and eight, a satisfied or sated or overindulged person despises honey but to a hungry person, any bitter thing is sweet. Verse eight, like a bird wanders from its nest, so a person wanders from his home. And that verse wander struck me. To wander, what's that mean? To involve the lack of commitment to God's word, 
to wander is a lack of spiritual focus, maybe not deliberate, but just careless, apathetic. To wander is to aimlessly drift. We often sing that song that has those words in prone to wander. There seems to be a natural tendency to wander, but one who wanders inevitably, 100% of the time, finds themselves in a dangerous position of some type. Obviously, I often think of cross-country runners, they have to stay on the course. They can't just wander and run wherever they want to on that golf course. Likewise, it has to be a deliberate effort to um, stay the course. Verses 10 through 16. Do not abandon your friend or your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's home on the day of your disaster. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother far away. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad, so I may reply to one who taunts me. <clears throat> a prudent person sees evil and hides himself, but the naive proceed and pay the penalty. Take his garment when he comes at guarantor for a stranger, and for a foreign woman sees a pledge from him. One who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be considered a curse to him. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. Looking at verse 9, the naive person in verse 12, <clears throat> the person who wanders, verse 9, the naive person who wanders in 12, kind of the same thing. Um, the, the naive proceed and pays the penalty, while the, the prudent person, the wise person, runs, flees. Verses 18 through 20, one who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit, and one who cares for his master will be honored. As in water a face reflects the face, so the heart of a person reflects the person. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of a person ever satisfied. Looking at verse 19, we're reminded that the book of Proverbs, is, as we talked about this morning, is not about external behavior or a self-righteous facade. It's, it's about not being half-baked, right? It's about um, one's heart. Verse 20 reminds me of 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, where it says, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the key phrase I want to pull out there, the lust of the eyes, as it refers to in Proverbs, <clears throat> the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of the eyes, whatever, whatever form that may take, is never satisfied. And I think we've used this example before, but I think of a fire just consuming everything faster and harder and faster and harder. The more fuel it has, the faster it burns. <clears throat> Moving on to verses 23 through the end of the chapter. These verses remind us to be good stewards of God's provision, to wisely use what, might be able, what we might be able to, so we might be able to reach out to others. As God says in Ephesians chapter 4, let us labor, performing what is good, we might have something to share with him who has need. 
So verse 23 says, know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. Don't be careless, don't be sloppy. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass disappears, the new growth is seen, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in. The lambs will be for your clothing, and the goats will bring <clears throat> the price of a field. And there will be enough goats milk for your food, for the food of your household, and sustenance for your attendants. So let's uh, now go back to verse 17, and the verses that are associated with verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. What does that verse mean to you? Just think about that a few seconds. What does that verse mean to you? How, how does it apply in your life? How have you seen it applied in your life? As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. <clears throat> As I thought about the word iron, I thought about uh, a verse that we did not read yet, Proverbs 27, verse 22 says, though you pound the fool in a mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grain, his foolishness still will not leave him. Hmm. How hard is a fool? Like, like iron, how hard is a fool? Though you pound the fool in a mortar with a pestle, with, along with crushed grain, his foolishness will still not leave him. A fool is hard. His foolishness is slow to leave him. And I suspect all of us can think of an example of this truth in the lives of those that we encounter. Think about people you know who are foolish in some way, making bad choices. But then bring it a little bit closer to home. And at times, we most likely all are that person <clears throat> having that foolishness. And though truth pounds us, like a mortar and a pestle, we were slow to leave that foolishness. So it's a difficult task, iron sharpening iron. And if we desire to be used by the Lord to sharpen others who are hard and foolish at times, if we would desire to be the sharpener, we must be enjoying the Lord's embrace. We must be focused on his word and in a sense be well-seasoned iron. It's probably worth turning to Hebrews chapter 12 for a little bit. There's a few verses there I'd like to read. Hebrews chapter 12, talk about that strengthening process, that seasoning process, if we desire to be the sharpener who will sharpen others. Can, and likewise, if we, if we desire to have that humble attitude that will allow us or enable us to be sharpened by others, both of those topics are important and both of them show up in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. <clears throat> I'm questioning, is it verse chapter four maybe? I, I have chapter 12 wrote down here, but I think it might be chapter four <clears throat> and, and verse 12. <clears throat> For the word of God is living and active. That sound better, chapter four? Um, sharper than a two-edged sword, even penetrating, as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open, laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. If we were to stop it there, we'd be left with a potentially cold and harsh and distant view of who God is and his sharpening word. But then we come to verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let's hold firmly to our confession. If we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are. If we desire to be a sharpener, we need to be in fellowship with the Lord, obviously. Um, I, and probably many of us, wrestle with distractions during worship and when listening to a message. Anybody ever have a problem with that? No, we all do. Um, so I, I, I try to be slow to criticize <clears throat> when others are distracted. But recently I saw some adults not here when I crossed, who I think in my opinion, pretty clearly crossed the line regarding distractions. Visiting the church in the last month or two, um, I noticed at least two adults who were frequently texting as a man was sharing a message on 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And the fact that they were smiling, giggling, you know, they, they, that was not an emergency situation. They were just socially texting. <clears throat> there was no emergency. I would love to have had the technological ability at that point to send them a text at that point saying, please put your toy away. You are in my presence and my word is living and active. I, I would love to see their face if that popped up. Um, so I wonder what their facial expression would have been. So to be a sharpener, we have to be in fellowship with the Lord and minimize those distractions that would dull that edge. <clears throat> I'm sure when they were texting, distracted, they're, they're not invested in that living and active word of God. They may be absorbing 10% of it, but um, they're not invested. They were wandering, not being sharpened. So if we wish to, wish to be used by the Lord to sharpen others, Jesus gives us some indispensable guidance in John 15, 5. You've heard these words many times, maybe hundreds of times, but seek to go deep into the meaning of that simple but profound analogy used by the Lord in John chapter 15 in general, but I, I will isolate verse five. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do you can do nothing, um, nothing. <laughs> do we really believe that? Do we really live that out? It's a, it's a very simple concept in a way, the life-giving vine, but that's very complex when you get into biology of that. But anyways, the, the life-giving vine, the one who remains in Jesus bears much fruit. The one who abides in the true vine bears much fruit. The one who enjoys his embrace will be used by the Lord to sharpen others. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. So like me, trying to lift that overhead garage door with my own strength. Apart from him, we can do nothing. 
like me trying to alternate doors at the car wash. <clears throat> Alternate ways, so-called positive thinking or strategies dependent on human creativity can do nothing. Like me trying to square or level that door based on humanistic wisdom. And sometimes those things may help kind of cover the problem or there are situations where there's a physical cause for mental illnesses. That's, that's good, that's helpful. But ultimately, the bottom line is the Lord, for apart from him, we can do nothing. Or like me trying to free that overhead door from the ice or the imagined ice and the cold, only the Lord can free the heart from spiritual cold, spiritual ice, Apart from him, we can do nothing. We're, we're, we're often tempted to do that frontal attack in the flesh. I can do this if I just try harder. And then we sit down and say, no, no, it's all up to the Lord. It's all in Christ. <clears throat> so may we remember to, to seek and push that open button. <clears throat> and in a reverent sense, I think of the spiritual open button, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is comfortable, my burden is light. Going back to verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So far, we've been looking mostly at the sharpener. Um, we'll kind of balance that out. Both the sharpener and the sharpened must be present. Often that relationship is mutually beneficial with both persons being sharpened and both persons helping to sharpen. Iron sharpens iron. For that to happen, both people must be, must be physically present. This poor saw has been sitting in my garage. See the rust? <laughs> That's what happens to us when we spiritually isolate ourselves. From other believers, you can see a lot of it there. That's how often I use this saw, by the way. Um, <clears throat> both people must be physically present. <clears throat> so when Christians avoid meaningful contact with other believers, they avoid intellectual sh sharpening. They avoid rubbing shoulders with obedient, mature Christians. You know, this, this kind of this symbolizes what happens to their spiritual life. It starts to rusty, starts to deteriorate, and it just gets worse and worse. So it is when we neglect or forsake assembling together. In his book, rust never sleeps. Rust never sleeps. No. I see that on my finger. <laughs> my notes will be a living proof to that. Um, so, <clears throat> In his book called Deeper, Dane Ortland hits the nail on the head with, this <clears throat> with the problem of spiritually isolating ourselves. <clears throat> he writes, in the darkness or in, in isolation, in secrecy, your sins fester and grow in strength. We need to hear that again. In darkness or in self-isolation and in secrecy, 
our sins grow in strength. <clears throat> and when I hear that word fester, I think of that occasional experience I've had of getting a bag of potatoes out of the pantry. And there's one potato in there that is yeah, soft and, yeah, and the whole bag is, yeah, you know, <clears throat> so it is in secrecy, in self-isolation, that sin grows and festers. <clears throat> Keeping in mind that we sometimes lie by what we don't say or by what we subtly imply, Dane Ortland concludes with this contrasting truth. In light, our sins wither and die. In light, our sins <clears throat> wither and die. And going, pulling it from First John. Walking in light is honesty with God and others. I would add that walking in light is ironing, sharpening, iron, sharpening iron, or in Christ, one person sharpening another. When iron sharpens iron, there's friction. There's heat. Sparks fly. But when we speak the truth in love, both are important. There may be friction, there may be heat, and sparks may fly. But in Christ, we will bear much fruit. And if you think about ironing, sharpening iron, iron, sharpening iron, whatever it is, um, in a physical realm, it occurs at a microscopic level, that grinding process. It's not a dramatic thing usually. It's a slow, gradual grinding process. Iron sharpening iron. Um, so it is spiritually. It can be a slow, gradual process. <clears throat> years of a marriage, years of parenting, years within a local fellowship, iron sharpening iron. <clears throat> Sometimes there is that dramatic conversation, that confrontation. Sometimes, as one author said, that uh, conflict is the gateway to intimacy. But a lot of times it's that slow, gradual process, that one word of encouragement, that one smile with a stranger, building that relationship, one little gift, whatever it might be, <clears throat> the fact that can be a slow process, and not to be discouraged by that. And we don't see immediate dramatic results. A lifelong process, iron, sharpening iron. <clears throat> if you're a bit like that saw, and you've been sitting around in an isolated spiritual barrel, as somebody at the church I was at last week shared they had done for six years, I would encourage you today, get out and rub shoulders with other believers in a, in a meaningful manner, not just a Vikings Packers game or, or hunting or fishing or, or whatever it might be, or running, um, but to have honest, vulnerable, meaningful conversations. And beware of saying, I will do that someday, because someday never comes, right? Iron, sharpening iron, involves significant effort, often involves discomfort, can involve pain. But like a successful surgery that can involve all those things as well, effort, 
pain, discomfort. In the end, the results are worth it. <clears throat> in the interest of time, we'll not look at the last, in detail, the last verses that are associated with iron, sharpening iron, but I'll read through a few selected verses that we did not cover yet from Proverbs chapter 27. And just lay these verses against that background of iron, sharpening iron. Verse 2 says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Verse 5, better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. Verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Verse 9, <clears throat> oil and perfume make the heart glad, and a person's advice is sweet to his friend. Then skipping down to verse 21, the crucible is for silver, the furnace for gold, and each is tested by the praise <clears throat> accorded to him. Well, that is an interesting verse. Um, we've talked about how we respond to rebuke as being a watershed of, of our lives, of wisdom, how we will respond. When we're praised, <clears throat> that, as it says here, um, it can be, a, it, it's a test, how we will respond to that. The immature Christian will, oh, I did a nice job. Um, a mature Christian will think of uh, verses like Matthew 5.16, where it says, let your good works be shown before men that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Huge difference. So does the concept of iron, sharpens iron, really work? Does, of course it does, because God said it would. Uh, <clears throat> In my semi-retirement days at work, I'm blessed to share that position with a, um, another semi-retired person who worked as a supervisor in human services for over 30 years. And this woman is a very humble, very discerning, she's a genius. She's so good at training new staff. Even after 42 years of doing that myself, I can learn a lot just by sitting back and watching. That was really a good way to present that, given that new person's background, you nailed it. <clears throat> so he's very insightful, very personalized. So that's just an example in a secular world of iron, sharpening iron. <clears throat> does iron, sharpening iron really work? Of course it does. In my service as an elder, I'm sharpened by other elders as I see their, their generosity. That was good, nice idea, way to go. Um, or as I see their discernment, yeah, you're right. I never thought of that angle. As I see their hospitality, never occurred to me. Thanks for having them over. <clears throat> as I see their perseverance, it's easy for any of us to kind of wander. <clears throat> or as I see their faith, iron sharpens iron. <clears throat> so two thoughts in closing. First, when you go to the car wash, it's up here, <laughs> inside of the door, push that button. But also, obviously, the spiritual analogy, Matthew eleven twenty eight, take it to the Lord. John 15, abide in Christ. <clears throat> Second, it's easy to memorize Proverbs 7, 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, 
So one person sharpens another. Just just drill it in there <coughs> and remember it. What's one way that you can better apply that verse in your life on either side of that being the sharpener or the sharpened, being willing and humble to be sharpened or being walking in intimacy with the Lord and being in a position where you can be the sharpener used of the Lord. <clears throat> if you're getting spiritually rusty like that saw, get out of the scrap barrel today and uh, connect with another mature believer on a one-to-one on -on -one basis. Because notice that verse 17, as one man, <clears throat> as iron sharpens iron, so one man, one person, one person, one person sharpens another. Another angle of that whole process that occurred to me in closing is if the Lord has been using somebody in your life to help sharpen you, to help mold you, to help your growth, they may, they may not even realize they've been doing so. Send them a note. Send them a text of appreciation, of encouragement. I've, I've seen that done over the years. I can think of quite a few examples within this group right here. We need to keep doing it. <clears throat> so starting with the Lord sharpening us, Hebrews 12, Matthew 11, John 15, through his living and active word, which is sharpening to it his sword, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. If we can close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for, for truth, for light, for hope. We acknowledge you as the source of all wisdom, godly wisdom, as your word says in the book of James, that's pure and peaceable. Help us just to draw near to you, knowing that you'll draw near to us. Sometimes we may hesitate to say sharpen us because that involves trials and suffering, but um, we need to be sharpened. <clears throat> and we pray for that <clears throat> sharpening presence of your, your son, your spirit, Godhead in our life. We pray for that. And as we are sharpened, may we look around and seek to encourage others and bring growth and bring instruction and intellectually sharpen one another, morally sharpen one another, in obedience, sharpen one another. <clears throat> and if we are rusty, if we've been on the sidelines, help us to get engaged in meaningful, deep conversations <clears throat> on a one-to-one on -one basis. I pray for that. And as we go forth the rest of the day, help us to invest it wisely. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Out of the ground, it's very soft and useless. The more refined it becomes, the harder and more useful. Ooh, you know? Yeah, and that involves working with it, right? Yeah, yeah the more refined. Yeah, it. yeah. And uh, you want to it, yeah. it becomes, the harder and more useful. Yeah. You can't sharpen iron with or with another piece of iron ore because they eat away. Right, right. You gotta get refined piece of iron to sharpen. Yep. 
So we have to be walking close with the Lord to be able to help somebody else who's not. Yeah. yeah. And the more refined the person is, I suppose, the more they'll be able to sharpen up someone who's maybe not. Yep. Good point. No, that's very valid. Yep. Thank you for reinforcing that thought. Jerry, um, changes text to Margaret that, that John's dad passed away. Your comments there, Jerry. So, anybody online? Um, John's father just passed away. Um, just received a text to that effect. Let's take a second and pray. <clears throat> just pray for that family even though it was anticipated, expected, and even though he, in a sense, lived a long life, just pray for each member of that family to be able to be centered on you, draw strength from you. I pray for that, and this may know your shepherding presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.